You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. on a podcast episode named Circumcision? All right, fine, let's talk about it. Uh, But just a heads up, you know, uh, I'm actually not going to get very descriptive, but you know what this is about if you're listening. So, you know, disclaimer, if you got kids in the car, you you may want to uh, not listen to it now or put some headphones on. But yeah, let's actually start there because depending on your age, maybe you're not entirely sure what circumcision is. I remember the question coming up in youth group. Uh, What what exactly even is circumcision? So, uh, you know, most people are aware, but it is the cutting off of the foreskin on the penis of a male. And uh, this ends up being the mark of God's people, which sounds very odd to us. Uh, But that is the topic that we are diving into today. So with that, let's continue on the midweek podcast where we left off. Today we are in Genesis 17. We read a little bit of this last week, but we're just going to reread that portion. So Genesis 17, 1 is where we'll start. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between you, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised from the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. All right, well, there you go. A very (laughs) strange passage uh, that uh, is going to come up throughout the Bible plenty more times. I think it shows up even in the Old Testament. Uh, Let's see here. It's mentioned nearly a hundred times in the Bible. It's in both the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. So like it shows up a lot, which is odd to us because we don't really expect that um, to be at least like a, a core principle or thought of our faith. Yet here it is. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this to, to try to understand it a little bit better. Because let's be honest, most of us are a bit thrown off by this. We don't bring it up in conversation uh, as to if someone is circumcised or not, because we're not worried about that anymore because of what Jesus has done. We'll get there. Uh, but uh, um, in, in this particular passage, we see that God had a concern for it. And people have thrown out different ideas as to why maybe God was concerned. Oh, it's, it's hygienic. So God just, you know, was getting ahead of the game. Hey, you need to take care of yourself down there. So let's just make that a covenant. Things like that, which it can be hygienic. I actually know someone who had to be circumcised very late in life uh, because it was not going well down there because of <laughs> his uncircumcision before. So some people would take that and be like, yeah, maybe God just wanted it to be hygienic. But there's definitely uh, more going on to this story. It, it, the Bible makes a, a big deal out of this, at least in in the Old Testament. This truly becomes a mark, as we just saw, of the covenant, right? So if, if God's going to multiply all of... Uh, is going to give Abraham a son and multiply his children into nations and kings will come out of him and all this, um, then God says, that's my side of the covenant. Your side of the covenant is simply to bear the mark, to to be circumcised. Uh, on the eighth day after your child's been born, you're going to take him and you're going to remove the foreskin from his penis. And in doing that, he is then going to... Uh, be a part of my covenant. My covenant will be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. That's that's the way that God explained it. So uh, this throws us for a loop in a lot of different ways. Uh, some people are like, okay, what about women? Uh, women aren't circumcised, uh, or at least um, shouldn't be, <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's uh, that's uh, often referred to today as female genital mutilation. So that's not like any kind of term referring that we think it should be done. In fact, people have been pushing to get rid of that completely from societies and tribal practices where where you still find things like that because there's there's no need for that. And God didn't instruct female genital mutilation. So to some extent, we're like, hey, um, so what? Just the men are a part of the covenant and the women aren't? And no, that's not true. Um, from a biblical perspective, the woman would be a part of the covenant by getting married, well, either being born by someone who bore the mark of circumcision. So they had Israelite parents. They had parents that were related back to Abraham. The circumcision had been passed down. And so when they were born from that circumcision, if you will, they too bear that mark. Um, but on top of that, they also, uh, a female would bear that mark simply by seeing the mark upon their Israelite husband. So they would be partaking in the mark, if you will, by seeing it when they would go to have sex and things like that. Uh, because that's what it is. It's it's, it's a, um, again, the covenant shall be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So 
It's in the flesh. You're to see it and recognize it as a physical sign of the covenant. So it carries a, like in the same way, in uh, after Noah's ark had touched ground, there's that rainbow, and God says, you know, this is uh, a promise I make to you. When you see this rainbow, you think of it this way. In the same way, you're going to look upon the circumcision of your husband, and you're going to remember this is this way because of what uh, God has promised us. So you bear the mark. You continue to to hold it um, throughout generation to generation to generation. On top of that, uh, if anyone is going to find themselves in the Israelite clan, they too need to bear this mark. So if you have outsiders who have decided that they want to worship the one true God and join the nation of Israel, um, one of the things that's going to be expected of them as they come in to the nation of Israel, since they were an outsider, but they've chosen to worship the one true God, they're going to be expected to be circumcised among live under the law and other things like that. In the same way, um, Moses's uh, family, his very blood uh, relatives, his children, weren't the only ones who were expected to be circumcised. Every male that he had was to be circumcised. And that included uh, people who weren't related to him, but were considered kind of a part of his house. Um, Think slaves, you know. Uh, If they were bought with his money from a foreigner, if it's not his offspring, they too were to be circumcised. So there was this idea that like, Abraham, everything that's yours is now being turned over to God to be under his covenant, and he will make you a mighty nation. So, you know, you can extend that forward. When you see that Abraham's slaves, servants, uh, the people who lived in his house, when you see that they too were taking on uh, the mark, you see that God was in a way, I would say, incorporating them into the same promise. But this is where we need to stop and talk a a minute because that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, right? I mean, with the way that I just phrased everything, it sounds like Jamin just said, you get into heaven based on if you're circumcised or not. That doesn't make any sense. So let's pause for a moment, re-find our bearings, and continue on. As I said, the way that I just phrased things, it sounds like you are a part of God's people and you get into heaven based on a mark on your genitals. And that just seems a little weird. And that's because it is. That does not, uh, (laughs) the world does not work that way. Everlasting life does not work that way. That's not the way that God has set things up. And so you start seeing uh, Bible writers later, they're going to refer back to circumcision, but they're going to start talking about it in a different way. So like Deuteronomy 10.16 says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. (laughs) Foreskin of your heart. First off, that's not a thing, okay? Your heart doesn't have a foreskin. That's not how that works. 
but here we have this kind of poetic interpretation of what circumcision should really be about. And this comes up again. Deuteronomy 36. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and your the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. The, cir- the circumcision of your heart. This is coming up. Jeremiah 2 goes into this. In Jeremiah 4.4, we find him saying, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. And then here's one that really talks to what I'm just saying, right? I was saying, if the logic is you're part of God's people by being circumcised, then is that all it takes to get into heaven? And if someone's circumcised, they're in. Again, the answer is no. And Jeremiah 9.25 really puts that out there, where Jeremiah says, behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Now that right there, that's a powerful prophetic word. You know, here's Israel thinking, we're part of God's people. We we bear the mark of God's people. From generation to generation, our genitals have been circumcised. And we are officially a part of the covenant. And here's Jeremiah coming in and saying, it is about your heart. If your heart has not been circumcised, if your heart does not bear the mark of the covenant, Then what did God say? I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Merely in the flesh. If all you bear is the mark upon your genitals, then you are not on the end. Then you are not a part of God's people. What God is really concerned about is what that mark is supposed to represent. It's supposed to represent Abraham's side of the covenant, that he remains faithful to God Because that's what a covenant is. On one side, someone does something, and on the other side, someone does something. Yeah, sure, God promised, you know, I'm I'm going to do all this. I'm going to give you children. There's nothing you can do, so I promised myself I'm going to do that. But then here you have God saying, like, your side of things, just bear the mark. Bear the mark so that from generation to generation, people remember this promise that is carried down throughout all the ages. And you see that that was a powerful thing to do, like, You know, uh, people today, when they're like, why do we even have circumcision? Why do we do this? Well, uh, the answer that you're often going to find, at least from Christian Judeo values, is, well, God commanded people to do this as a way of remembering his promise to us. So it bore weight, right? (laughs) Because even now, 2,000 years after the New Testament said you don't have to be circumcised, People are still being circumcised and still asking the questions and getting the answers as to why. Now, believe it or not, um, circumcision is not actually just a um, Israelite thing. So if you were to look at uh, other um, ancient people, you would find that they too were circumcised. And so this speaks further, right? Because again, Jeremiah... Uh, what we just read, God said he would punish all those who were circumcised merely in the flesh. And then he gives a list, and that includes like Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, 
But Egypt right there, that's the first one he mentions. Egypt, when we think of Egypt, that's like Israel's opponents. So it seems like a good place for Jeremiah to start. Look, Egypt's circumcised. Do you think that means that they just got in? Your oppressors were circumcised. Do you think that means that they're just therefore in? No, it's about a heart issue. What you bear on your body is just representative of that mark. That is the mark on your heart. So through modern archaeology, we know that like uh, people practice circumcision in Syria and Phoenicia. Um, we also see, again, as Jeremiah just noted, Israel's neighbors were circumcised, like in Egypt. There is a difference between the way in which people practiced circumcision. Uh, there were other kind of medical ways to cut, if you will. Um, so circumcisions varied from place to place. But, um, again, we're just brought back to, uh, this is a mark of something deeper. So, uh, I think what's easy to illustrate this uh, is when you look at Israel, right? Uh, it's very clear that just because you are an Israelite, you are not therefore um, getting into heaven, if you will. Because when you look at uh, Israel, uh, eventually, like they're worshiping all of the foreign gods, like part of the mark of bearing uh, circumcision was to say, like, I, I have covenant, I have promised faithfulness with the one true God. He is the one I serve. He is the one who uh, has brought me out of a miracle from my forefathers way back in the day who couldn't have kids. He gave them a miracle, and that promise has been passed down. Uh, so that's, that's what this mark means. But when Israel starts worshiping all these other gods, like that's leaving the one true God. That's, that's just walking right out of that covenant. So you don't just like break into heaven because you had a mark, right? That's not how that works. It's very clear throughout the Bible that following God, chasing after him with your heart, that is the thing that matters, not a mark. All right, go ahead and take a moment to think over some of the stuff we're talking about. Then let's come back and talk about this in a, another light. I think it might help you understand this from a, a, a New Testament perspective on a difficult doctrine that people have struggled with for some time. So let's come back in just a second. Okay, so we've talked about it. You can bear the mark of circumcision, but not get into uh, heaven or not be a part of God's kingdom. How does that work? Think of it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God, uh, well, the Bible uses this word like elect. God elects some to be his followers, okay? And this idea is, is simply that like, you know, people struggle with this, like, okay, so God's chosen some to get in and he's predestined others to not get in. I don't think that's a good way to look at the the doctrine that's being stated here. I don't think that's what Paul meant. I think uh, if you just look at the way that the Bible talks about election, even the way that Jesus talks about those who get in and those who don't, um, Jesus talks about, like, it's my Holy Spirit who leads people to the Father, 
who leads them to me. It's it's God who does the choosing. Basically, the, the idea behind election is pretty simple. You don't get to choose if you're in or out. God is the one who chooses. It's not, therefore, that God like has predestined some to get in and some not to get in. Rather, the idea behind election is, uh, I would say, when God sees that someone's pursuing him and and chasing after him, I would say that at that point, God would then elect them to be in. But there's others whom maybe have no interest in him. And so God has reserved, um, God has reserved displaying himself to them so that they would, would choose him. Uh, that, that doesn't, strike me as predestination. That strikes me as a way in which the Holy Spirit is working with people on different levels, uh, revealing himself to to everyone in different ways. Uh, just in the same way Jesus will speak a parable, he knows some people are going to get it because God has revealed it to them and other people are not. Uh, think of that as like some have been elected to understand the parable, some have not. And that is up to God's discretion as to who will get it and who will not understand it as the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. Uh, maybe that all sounds a little weird, and maybe you're like, what on earth does this have to do with circumcision? Um, here's, here's where I'm going. In the Old Testament, Israel is the elect. Okay, So there are all kinds of nations out there, but God's elect chosen nation are those who follow him and wear the mark of circumcision. Now, some of these people have decided that the mark is enough. They are God's elect people because they bear the mark. But it's clear that these people go on to serve other gods, to chase after uh, false idols, and to leave God. Now, the idea that they are still a part of God's people simply because they bear the mark is ridiculous to us, and we all know that. We know that if they want to... um, be the elect, then they have to live like the elect. They cannot chase after false gods and still expect to be God's people. They cannot chase after false gods and still expect to get in. So circumcision in the end, um, that may make you an elect person, but it may uh, it does not therefore ensure that you will keep yourself in the place of being elect, right? You know, Jesus talks about in the New Testament that some are going to, uh, some might possibly, he, he sounds like he's on the fence, but he's like, some might possibly be led astray. Even some of the elect might be led astray. And so the idea in the New Testament is very similar. Just as God is electing people in the New Testament, they are bearing the circumcision of the heart, if you will. They are part of the covenant. God has revealed himself to them and they are following him, even though God does that with these people, there's still the possibility that these elect people may go astray. They may leave God. They may go worship idols. They may not live uh, out the circumcision of the heart. Uh, They may just look at Christianity as something that they wear rather than something that they are. And that is, in the end, that's, that's not what it means to fulfill the election. That's not what it means to to fill the circumcision. I know that's kind of a weird way to look at things, um, but I I hope that that's a little helpful as you piece together the understanding of why circumcision is important in the Old Testament mind, but that 
there's more beyond just that mark. Okay, so where do we stand on this today? Uh, if you've read your Bibles and you've come across this conversation before, when the Gentiles start getting saved, when the Gentiles, these are the uncircumcised people or people who may not have been circumcised the way that Israel circumcises people, they're, they're the ones who don't bear the mark. So when God starts showing uh, these new Christians, these new Israelites, hey, I'm bringing in the Gentiles, if you'll recall, the religious people, the the ones who want to hold these people up to the law, they say, well, then if they're going to come in, they got to do what they've always had to do. They got to get circumcised. We've always expected that of anyone who, who joins our faith. So let's go ahead. Let's uh, put these people under the knife if these Gentiles are going to start coming to faith. To some extent, you know, it was hard for them to understand that God was extending their faith to the Gentiles, but if they were going to have to bring them in, then they were going to do it their way, right? Yeah, well, if they're going to be saved, uh, then they got to wear the same mark that the rest of us do. And so they're getting ready to, uh, to put them under the knife, right? But then along comes Paul and uh, the early church, and they start saying, you know, that... That doesn't quite feel like a, a burden that we feel the Holy Spirit needs them to carry. And part of Paul's logic behind this is that circumcision, what's really important, again, it comes back to what it means. It's that circumcision of the heart. The mark is not as essential as that. And so Paul is following along the side of of Jeremiah among the, the things that Deuteronomy is saying. Uh, if we were to go to Colossians 2, 11 through 12, he starts looking at it in a different light. He says, in him, that is Jesus, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised with, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So in Paul's mind here, um, circumcision was found elsewhere in Jesus. Now, Michael Heiser in his book, The Bible Unfiltered, he talks about uh, this uh, little glimpse here. He says, well, he just points out the fact that like Paul just likened baptism to circumcision. These are both events that we witness. So in the Old Testament, you witnessed a circumcision and whether it was a child or an adult, you were witnessing the covenant promise. You saw the circumcision happened, and you knew, like, yes, we do this because God's faithful to us, and we are faithful to him, and he's pouring out the blessing upon us that he, he promised Abraham. Uh, now Paul's saying, like, that's what baptism is. We all come around. We all witness it. We see you go under the waters into this new circumcision of sorts. And when you come out, we've all witnessed this moment. Yes, this is him saying he's faithful to God. Or if it's an infant that's being baptized, yes, this is uh, 
Um, an infant, we're declaring, you know, the eight days of circumcision in the same way. This is a child who can't make the decision to be circumcised, but someone else is circumcising him, baptizing him or her on, uh, um, God's behalf and saying, and now as a church, we're going to raise them right. So regardless of where you stand on infant baptism or anything like that, that's not really what I'm getting into. All I'm saying is like, baptism to Paul became the new analogy of what circumcision was. It's a statement to say I'm faithful to God and I'm receiving his covenant promise. Likewise, uh, Paul also saw faith as the new kind of of uh, circumcision. As we just saw in Colossians, um, he said, uh, we were raised with Jesus through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, if you've read Paul before, then you know that faith for him was a huge deal. Because this faith, uh, not only is baptism kind of uh, a good new analogy for circumcision, baptism is a new circumcision, but uh, uh, faith is, in the end, what really matters, which, again, is making us think of, of the circumcision of the heart. If you go to Romans 4.9, Paul says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. (laughs) So, in case that all just sounded like a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, Paul's just looking right back at this. If we were to go... Um, into, like today, we're talking about Genesis 17. That's when the circumcision happens. But if you go back to Genesis 15, 6, uh, it says, He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham's righteousness, that was back in Genesis 15, when when God had uh, made given him a, a vision of the covenant, that was before he was circumcised. So here Paul is saying like, look, are you circumcised? Fine. Uh, but uh, what really matters is that you're following in the footsteps uh, of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So again, he's saying circumcision, that's just the sign that you're walking in faith if you are in fact doing that. So as for those who are not currently circumcised, we don't need them to get circumcised. We just need them to, to follow in the same kind of faith that Abraham had. It was his faith that saved him, not the circumcision. It was his faith that brought him the covenant promise, not the circumcision. Circumcision was the seal, if you will. So I hope that's all helpful. Uh, maybe to some extent you didn't even care. <laughs> You're like, look, Jamin, all that matters is I know the New Testament says that doesn't matter anymore. That's all I need to know. But if you want to see like a fuller progression between Old Testament and New Testament, I hope this helps you out. I hope it does help you get in the mind of the Pharisees who who are thinking like, well, this was an important mark and, and we, we got to keep pulling it off so that you can see why Paul comes along and he's so 
intense about why it 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 doesn't need to to happen anymore because his real concern is about what Abraham had before he was circumcised. He believed in God. He had faith. And God said that was righteousness. He considered it to him as righteousness. So have faith in God and consider that your righteousness. Let that be the circumcision of your heart. Let your baptism be the sign that all gathered around to see your circumcision (laughs) that has come to you now through your life in Christ, your death to yourself and your life in Christ. So there's there's your, your long talk on that. You can now take your headphones out or turn the car radio back on and go listen to some jams. All right, we'll catch you next time.